Can I listen to your podcast? All right. Welcome to another episode of Middle School Music, where old school meets new school. I'm Farhan Lalji, and I'm joined by Dario Duet. Dario, how you doing this morning? It's episode six. There we go, man. Six episodes in. Sorry that you had to wait two weeks for this episode, but uh, that's the new cadence that we're going to go through. So you'll get a new middle school music every other week. Hopefully you can live with that. Uh, this has been one big experiment. Um, we'll see if once a week, once every other week, once a month, um, we're going to try to experiment with different formats over the next few months, and we'll see what the right uh, cadence is for, for launching and, and releasing new episodes. So Dario, what's, what's been going on? What, what are you interested in? What's been top of mind in the music industry for you this week? Tons of new music. Artists, label artists going independent, leaked music. And I think one of the biggest topics, particularly in the hip-hop industry, is rhythm and flow, which is something we touched on in our previous episode. Yeah, so we'll go deep into to rhythm and flow. Uh, I think you, you've gone this long without mentioning that we did get the new Kanye drop. Finally. Yeah, so no more uh, discussions around when Kanye will drop. Uh, what else has been going on? Uh, I went and saw John Legend last week, which was an epic uh, concert for me and my missus. Uh, it was the first fourth time that we had seen him live. Uh, including the first time pre any albums where we had seen him at Jazz Cafe. Uh, we had uh, quite a moment when he actually talked about that show at Jazz Cafe, and my wife and I were the only two yelling, woo, as we were in the background <laughs> there. Uh, and, and we were the only ones at, at that show, I think, uh, many, many years ago, probably about 15 years ago we were at, at that show. Crazy. Yeah, if not longer. Uh, and, and John Legend is actually tied to, to Rhythm and Flow uh, as well, as we'll, we'll go deep on in a little bit. Uh, I think it's important to say that we are going to give a lot of spoilers around rhythm and flow. Yeah, so if you don't want to ruin the spectacle, then I suggest you either turn turn off now or fast forward. To, fa fa you might want to fast forward to like the last five minutes uh, <laughs> of the episode because I think we're, we're going to talk a lot about the winner. We're going to talk a lot about the process. We're going to talk a lot about the judges and the music industry and the relationship between the music industry. Uh, and, and shows like Rhythm and Flow. So should we get to it? Let's do it. So I have to admit, Dario, I, uh, I watched the first episode of Rhythm and Flow, and I wasn't hooked. You know, I was kind of like, it felt a bit messy, uh, even though it had uh, the legend Snoop Dogg making a guest appearance. Uh, the process was a little bit messy to me. The artist from Inglewood, while good, didn't really kind of blow me away, although one of the uh, performers, D Smoke, was, was really, really good in that first episode. I kind of felt like, I'm not sure, is this just another kind of music discovery show? Uh, but it was you, really, who, who kind of got really dug in and were encouraging me to, to make sure I watched the rest of the episode. What was it about the show that kind of got you that hooked in, into it? Oh, I loved it. I think it was just the the nature of taking uh, a niche such as hip hop and really blowing it up. So taking into account uh, new industry standards, you know, the likes of having Chance the Rapper, T.I. and Cardi B as judges, each of them offer a unique perspective, mm -hmm. you know, um, Chance the Rapper being independent and the fact that the prize associated with the competition, not only just being exposure, but also the fact that it's $250,000 and at free reign. And uh, what I loved about it was when Chance the Rapper mentioned the, the best investment you can make is in yourself. 
Yeah, that was that was really interesting that they didn't mention that in the first episode. They didn't lead with that, hey, this is the prize. Um, and part of me was wondering if they hadn't actually kind of resolved what the actual prize would be when they were recording that first episode. Because it did feel kind of awkward that that whole episode, I thought that it was going to be that the artist would end up with a record deal and some distribution support. You know, all of these shows, when they talk about a million dollar record deal, right, a lot of that means that the artist is going to get a million dollars worth of spend, right, that they're going to promote the album, they're going to help them with studio fees, they're going to actually spend a million on promoting the artist. Whereas the difference in this is giving the artist $250,000 and letting them, as Chance said, invest in themselves, kind of like what Chance had done as well in terms of owning his own distribution, owning his own production budget, and then actually promoting it himself in that way. I thought that was a really interesting model. And I was surprised that they didn't mention that in the very first episode. Well, it's a good point that you make because I remember when Adam Levine was interviewed on the Howard Stern show back in 2015, uh, he received a little bit of criticism because he slammed record labels for mismanaging winners of The Voice. Mm. Just to clarify, The Voice has been around for 17 seasons and uh, you know the winner of The Voice would land a record deal with Universal Music Group, which would take things from there. Now, as we all know in this content economy, you've got to release things quickly, particularly when you're hot. And you've seen that even with Rhythm and Flow. Even the artists that didn't win or make it into the finals, they're still putting things out there. They're increasing their social following and really trying to, to grab as much of the limelight as possible. And uh, you've typically seen, at least in, in most seasons of large US shows that are within this construct, uh, some artists re really fail to launch. Yeah, it's interesting because... In a lot of times, both in American Idol in the US, Pop Idol, as it was called originally in the UK, and X Factor in the UK, the song that the artists would release first would be a song that was kind of a little bit more generic or was a cover because that was kind of the song that they had come up to in the finale, right? That last episode, they had to cover the same song. They got all the production ready. They got all the distribution ready so that once the show aired, they were able to release. And I think the newer model is actually drip-feeding songs as the uh, episodes of the show are going along so that artists are able to gain a following even if they don't make it to that finale. And going back to Adam Levine's point, there's been a lot of history of major artists that come out of these types of shows being mismanaged, right? In the UK, uh, especially with some of the groups, you have One Direction, you have Little Mix. Uh, historically, you've had... Uh, other single artists like Ollie Murs who didn't win, but then was able, and I think that's actually a benefit. So if you don't win, you're less uh, hampered by having to sign the actual deal that the label has put in front of you as the winner. And I'm sure there's some kind of qualification that if you perform and if they offer you a deal, maybe it's like first right of refusal or something like that, but at least it gives you a little bit of freedom to kind of let the artist who's won shine for a little bit while you go into the studio and make your music. And I think that's why artists like Jennifer Hudson as well as Ollie Murs have probably been more successful than some of their counterparts who actually went on to win the show in those series. And those are great points, Farhan. So when you looked at American Idol, you know you had winners such as Kitty Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, and Chris Daughtry. Um, then you had winners such as, remember, Ruben Studdard from oh, yeah. season two. I mean, what, ha what happened to him? But even with The Voice, it's mostly been to the benefit of the careers of the likes of Blake Shelton and Adam Levine, or the judges, more so than the competitors themselves. And an interesting point here, which I believe is, is a part premise for why uh, Rhythm and Flow came to be, is that in close-knit communities such as with country singers, 
close-knit community of Nashville, you have a, an artist such as Ray Lynn who was able to, to kind of capture a share of, of that market and, and grow, grow her following. Just on, on Rhythm and Flow, though, I think it was quite interesting that it was a different model in that it wasn't just every week you're going to perform in front of a live audience. Every week, maybe there's a theme of a different type of song. Um, you know, I think what really worked for me was after the first, really the first three or four episodes. So the first uh, four episodes are the Los Angeles auditions, the New York auditions, where you had guest stars in each of these locations. You had Atlanta and Chicago. You had the likes of Snoop and then Fat Joe and Jadakiss in New York, Killa Mike, Quavo, Big Boy in Atlanta. You had Twista, Royce the Five Nine, and, and Lupe Fiasco all making appearances in Chicago. And that kind of followed a very similar formula in terms of show us your best in the live audience. We'll give you the, the chance to kind of wow us and then you go on. But what I really enjoyed was really after episode four, where you started to have really hip hop specific events. So you had the ciphers where the MCs would rap alongside each other on the same beat in groups of like four or five MCs. You had rap battles, you had doing music videos, you had uh, samples. So they were each given classic music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s that had been used in multiple hip-hop songs, and they were asked to kind of make a song based on that. And then you had collaborations as well, where you know you had great singers like Miguel, like Janae Aiko, coming, like Tiana Taylor, Tory Lanez, and Ty Dolla Sign uh, coming through to make music with the artists. And finally, then you had a finale where they had to kind of take in everything they've learned and work with a producer to make a song make a production and actually show it live in that audience uh, setting. And I thought that was really different from kind of some of the shows that we've seen in the past where it's like, here's a minute and a half, sing this song that everybody else knows. So that kind of creative process meant that you could then drip feed it through uh, channels like Spotify and have new music released every, like literally new music released every week, which I thought was credible. Well, that's why I love it. You know, the, just to, to provide some context on the origin story here, first reports uh, around Rhythm and Flow date back to September 2017, where you talk of John Legend. Uh, Netflix was partnering with John Legend's production company called Get Lifted Film on Rhythm and Flow, um, which was meant to focus more on R&B and soul music. And uh, they got the involvement of, of former NBC executive Jeff Gaspin, who's been involved in the likes of behind the music at VH1, The Apprentice, The Biggest Loser at NBC, and, and the list goes on. And this was during that time where talent competitions had gone from being a, a dormant genre to one of the most competitive in the unscripted world. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? That, you know, reality TV and kind of unscripted, and I say unscripted with my fingers making those quote signs, uh, shows, <laughs> you know, that unscripted kind of reality TV isn't a new thing. Right. It just kind of went through a bit of a lull. Right. So I remember in the 80s, there was a show in the U.S. called Star Search, um, which had a lot of really famous artists actually make their first appearances there. So, you know, the likes of Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, who people know or think they got their kind of big breaks from the Mickey Mouse Club. Actually, they were on a show called Star Search. Uh, Beyonce was actually on Star Search twice. Oh, really? Yeah. So she was on Star Search as a 12 year old. Um, even before she had made or they had what? yeah so before they had made uh, Destiny's Child Beyonce was in another really kind of young girls uh, singing group and they were on Star Search and then she came on again on Star Search years later as part of Destiny's Child 
as a, a really kind of teen, as a teenage uh, group. And then you had uh, other artists such as Aaliyah, Usher, and a variety of other singers that actually made their first appearance on a show like Star Search. And this wasn't, you know, as uh, produced or as well thought through as Rhythm and Flow. It was just, hey, these are the different categories. You've got three minutes. Sing a song that everybody knows. And let's see if the audience likes you or the judges like you or they like your competitor. Um, and then you would go on on a, almost like a tournament style to see who would win that season as the young vocalist, the male vocalist, the female vocalist, a dance group. They even had spokesmodels where a lot of models actually got their first appearances and first uh, popularity through shows like Star Search. So these are things that have been going on for 30, 40 years uh, in some cases. It just went through a bit of a lull where I think there was a little bit of fatigue with that model until in the UK you had Pop Idol kind of reinvent the model and, and you had Simon Cowell. Yeah. You know, you had a judge that people could love to hate. And it was kind of really different from Ed McMahon, who was kind of like everybody in America's uncle, right? Kind of nice, <laughs> nice, friendly uncle there. Whereas Simon Cowell was actually, you know, berating and, and it was almost like car crash TV where you kind of wanted to watch uh, the bad performers as well as the good performers in that case. Um, but you still had similar kind of, you know, cookie cutter formula where every week, the artists would get some feedback around a song. They would sing a song that everybody knew. Maybe they put their their small twist on it. It wasn't until uh, a couple of seasons ago where you had James Arthur come on in the UK. Yeah. Where James Arthur actually put his own twist, created verses, and I found that that was really refreshing. But at the same time, he fell through that mismanagement as well. And, and I think, you know, kind of that reign in popularity or that increased popularity so quickly really hurt him and he wasn't able to go into the studio, spend the time to actually produce really great music in the same way that a lot of these artists that we know from Rhythm and Flow um, were. Because I think one of the things to mention, and maybe you can talk a little bit more on this, is that none of these artists is actually new, right? These are kind of the secrets that they're not telling you in this. Is like, yeah, look at this artist. He's in Inglewood. He's in the hood. Look at this artist. She's in Chicago. She's taking care of her daughter, you know, and, and trying to kind of make it big. But at the same time, a lot of these people were actually performing on stages, in front of crowds, had been honing their craft, had been making music in studios, had relationships. Uh, there was a couple of tells. You know, the one tell was uh, when the one artist in Chicago... Troy Man. No, the uh, no, the Chicago rapper, uh, the female Chicago artist, uh, Sasha Gohard. Sasha Gohard, that's it. When Sasha Gohard came on, and Chance was like, "I'm a big fan of Sasha Gohard." That's the one that kind of got me, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, this isn't new. They have some relationships here." And then the other one was when Troy Man was saying that he'd actually been on stage before with Bone Thugs, and that was like, "Oh, wait, but you've been on stage with Bone Thugs." So yes, these were unsigned artists. These were artists that were looking for a big break, but at the same time, these weren't really new artists in that sense. And so we open up the can of worms. Go on then. So here's a spoiler. So as suggested, fast forward now. Um, if you look at D Smoke, who both Farhan and I really love, uh, you know, I shouted him out in episode five, uh, just, just an awesome all-round talent. D Smoke won the first season of Rhythm and Flow. But what's interesting about D-Smoke is actually when Cardi B made the comment, um, I really see a star. And then she said, hello, Kendrick Lamar, I have a friend for you. 
But actually, it's a funny story because D Smoke opened up for Kendrick Lamar at Whiskey A Go Go in West Hollywood in 2011. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. So he opens for Kendrick Lamar in 2011. Now, a lot of times when new artists open for the prominent name, there's not really that close relationship. But you have to admit, you have to believe that they gave each other dap behind stage and at least cross <laughs> paths, right? Like this wasn't new to each other. They and so when you had uh, Soundwave, I believe it was. Is that the name of the producer who produced for the last episode for... I believe so, yes. So when you had that production, yeah, with Soundwave and D-Smoke, um, you have to believe that Soundwave was familiar with a lot of either D-Smoke's work or, you know, had worked with an artist like D-Smoke before in that he had worked with, with Kendrick for so long. Well, it gets better. So... Did you know that D Smoke's brother is actually Sir, who is the R&B singer who signed to TDE, which is the which is Kendrick Lamar's label? Oh, okay. So if that's the case, then you know that there's some overlap with these artists, right? And I think, like, we're not. I don't think we're trying to kind of say that it's a big, you know, um, frame up or anything like that. I do think that there is some genuine discovery kind of happening, and these artists, at the end of the day do have to stand up there and perform. And I do think there were really some interesting artists um, like uh, Sam B. Yourself and Ali Tominique and even Beans and some of the others who didn't make it past the battle rap stage that the show is actually highlighting, allowing them to, to build a fan base, allowing them to craft, allowing them to spend time um, with these producers, make new music, get exposure to people like DJ Khaled uh, as well. And at the end of the day, as get into the listener's ears, get into the listener's Spotify playlist, right? I think that distribution is still really, really difficult, even though there are so many other channels, even though artists like Chance are able to kind of gain a following without a traditional label behind them, it still takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to actually ensure that people listen to your music. And I think the thing that we both enjoyed from Rhythm and Flow is that it lifted these artists up, probably artists that have been honing their craft for some time. You know, these weren't your your 14, 15, 16 year old artists who were in the you know pub singing game as you get a lot of UK singers who come on to X Factor. These were artists that really wanted to be hip hop stars, had been spending a lot of time making music, had been trying to get their big break and hadn't necessarily had the right YouTube video, right, that kind of blew them up or got enough followers on SoundCloud or whatever it was. So this was still lifting up, I, I believe, quality artists. I agree. I mean, and the, what's so challenging now in today's world is that there's just, everything's so generic. So you'll have good artists that are, you know, that are lyrical or that fit within certain subgenres of hip-hop or music in itself, but they almost get drowned out in a red ocean. And uh, Rhythm and Flow, as you've said, is a platform that, that uplifts them. It's that springboard opportunity to actually get their name out of there, which is what makes this competition so challenging because how do you declare a winner when if you look at even the top four, actually take a look at even the, the, the what, the top eight, hmm. they all have their own style and all fit in within their own, within an, um, a, a sub genre. Yeah, exactly, of, of, of hip hop. And so, you know, when Flawless Real Talk performed his, his final track, it was very Eminem-esque from, you know, Recovery 2010. Troy Man uh, kind of fits in with the whole Migos type. Trap of, music, exactly. yeah. Exactly, and Take Heath even offered him the chance to, to collaborate. Yeah. Uh, you know, D-Smoke, to me, is almost, 
it's like Kendrick Lamar in another body. Yeah, um, it's Kendrick with a little bit of Spanish flavor. Right? Exactly. And and I want to just highlight something. You know, we, we talk about how D-Smoke had, had opened for Kendrick and his brothers, sir, but... You know, he yes, he does have a, a an interesting background in the music space with with writing credits for the likes of the Pussycat Dolls as well as Genuine, and he has won an ASCAP award um, for for co-writing Jaheem's 2007 song Never, which peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Hot R&B and Hip Hop songs. But he split his time as a musician and an educator. So mm. he would, you know, he, he taught high school students and and was quietly racking up songwriting credits on the side. Yeah, like this, this wasn't enough as an artist to kind of feed his family per se. If you'll forgive the cliche, right? Like he was still needing to hustle on the side, have a proper, you know, kind of career that paid the bills alongside kind of building his prominence as an artist, as somebody in the music industry. And I think what Rhythm and Flow has done is kind of give him that leg up, right? It's like, okay, you're, you're ticking along, you're hustling, you're trying to make it here, we respect the craft, we respect you as an artist, let's give you a shot. At the end of the day, he's still, I mean, his battle with, um, oh, what was the name of the artist that was uh, influenced by Cab Calloway? Uh, Wasn't Old Man Saxon? Old Man Saxon, that's it. And when, <laughs> when, uh, when um, the winner D Smoke and uh, the Clax uh, Sam De Claxton, yeah. uh, old man, old man Claxton. Sorry, <laughs> when they battled out, you know there was a mutual respect there, and they both kind of hit hard. Old man Saxon. Old sorry. man Saxon. <laughs> that's it. Old man Saxon. I think he needs a better name. I'm just saying. You know, it's, it doesn't roll off the tongue like like <laughs> old dirty. Um, but yeah, old man Saxon and D Smoke had a battle. You know, other artists like Beans and Flawless Real Talk had battles, and I think you still saw artists. Go away. What will be interesting to me is to see if they do a second, a third season, a fourth season of Rhythm and Flow, and some of these artists who maybe went away too early in the process, if they're given another chance to come back to show that they've honed their craft, right? That they've come back um, and gotten better. Uh, there was one of the Chicago rappers, Arion, as well, who's like a 17, 18 year old kid, right? Who you could see comes from like a relative, not like one of the poorest Chicago families, but you could see that, you know, his mom was really supportive. His parents were involved in his life. He probably will go on to college, but at the same time, he could come back in episode, in series three or series four, showing that he's matured a little bit. And I think because that's where he was let down, is in the battle. He didn't really have much to say or much to go on. And some of these artists will gather life experience, like your D-Smoke, like your Flawless Real Talk, and they'll come back with that life experience in order to be better artists. So it will be interesting to see how Rhythm and Flow kind of moves on in future series, and if there are future series uh, of, the, of the show. Definitely. And what is so great about uh, D Smoke's story is that when he found out that they were doing auditions, he was actually teaching um, at a high school for recording arts in LA. He was teaching music engineering, English, and financial literacy. Wow. And um, you know, it was actually his students that inspired him to to take the leap and to to enter into the competition. He was very hesitant about it because, to the points we've mentioned earlier, these competitions can actually lead to nowhere and frustration more than anything. But uh, I think taking into consideration all of the comments from Adam Levine and I think just the production team behind Rhythm and Flow have been so good at executing. They've put the tracks out immediately as the episodes were released. D Smoke released his EP, Inglewood High. It was number three in the iTunes Top 100 last weekend in the US, in the top 10 
in the UK that was ahead of Eminem's recovery. I know he has uh, collaborations in the works with T.I., Cardi B, and Chance the Rapper in separate occasions. And uh, I think his career is only going to go from strength to strength. I remember sending him a DM on Instagram during the show and, and he responded. Uh, obviously, you know, they're contractually obligated to not really leak any information. It'll be interesting to see if he responds to you in a couple months' time. <laughs> I wonder, actually. <laughs> so the other thing that I found really interesting about this was that Netflix, obviously, this wasn't their first foray into hip-hop, right? So they've got Hip Hop Evolution. They've got other series on hip-hop in uh, Netflix uh, as well. And so what this, I believe, kind of gave them was somewhere to actually create their own content uh, outside of the media that they had actually acquired and were gathering data on. So one of the things to kind of highlight is that uh, Netflix is a heavy data-driven organization, right? So the fact that they've gone into a niche like hip-hop, I mean, that is becoming more and more mainstream for sure, but at the same time, it's not just an open music competition, right? You have to be an MC to participate in Rhythm and Smoke. There's a reason why they've rhythm done... Rhythm and Flow. Sorry, Rhythm and Flow. <laughs> Um, well, smoke one. So <laughs> yeah, D-Smoke, Rhythm and Flow. It's been a long week. Um, but yeah, so the fact that Rhythm and Flow is kind of a hip-hop-focused, rap-music-focused talent show, right, is probably leveraging a lot of the data that Netflix had around kind of different hip-hop shows and seeing what viewers were actually interested in, how far they actually made it through those series. They did live-action shows and, you know, kind of uh, recreations of the whole Biggie and Pac uh, scenario as well, and um, they've done Hip Hop Evolution as well as other shows as well in that category. Uh, and what was interesting about Rhythm and Flow was it is one of the first series they've produced where they've drip fed the release yeah. to keep you wanting more. Um, I think it's a, I think it's it's an awesome platform. Uh, I think I've managed to convert you, Farhan. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think the quality of the actual process improved dramatically as the series went on. I think the fact that it's 250K, no strings attached, no label, label deal was really interesting. I think the quality of the artists that they actually got on um, to uh, work with these artists or to judge these artists per se, you know, the variety of getting legitimate hip hop superstars like Big Boy. And if you kind of do the contrast of your Big Boy, your Lupe Fiasco, your Snoop Dogg, I mean, those are three very different hip-hop artists. And I think that kind of reflects the judges, right? You know, Cardi B, uh, Chance the Rapper, and T.I. are very different rappers coming from very different backgrounds, very different stories, um, have found fame in very different ways. And all three of them were able to kind of um, work together and bring on really interesting superstars to work with the artists as producers, like having uh, the likes of Tay Keith, having the likes of Soundwave, having the likes of you know uh, artists like that, having the collaborations um, with the artists like Miguel. You know, I think they they really did a good job of not just saying, "Hey, you sound like Kendrick, so let's put you with Kendrick." It was like, "No, let, okay, if you want to be like Kendrick, let's find the producer, let's find the light, right collaboration that's a little bit different." I mean, Miguel plus uh, D Smoke was a really, really interesting vibe because they both come from Inglewood. They both have that Spanish flavor as well. And you could see that chemistry. And you probably saw it for all the artists that they did the pairings with. Couldn't agree more. It's why you saw that London B and yeah. Brianna Taylor look like <laughs> sisters. <laughs> yeah, and London and London on the track, right? Yeah, yeah for as sure. Well. Like, so there was some really, really, I thought it was really, really thoughtful, really well done. And I think I'm really interested to see 
hopefully that they'll do a series two, a series three of rhythm and flowing to see where it goes from here. So shout out to D Smoke and uh, let's wait and see how his career takes off. Because there's no let's, doubt that it will. Well, let's see how all the artists' careers take off. I'm really curious to see how all of the artists kind of increase their following, produce new music, and hopefully this goes on really well. All right, as we do every week, um, we like to talk about what's new in the music industry from an actual music perspective. So Dario, what's, what's been new? What's, what's caught your ear this week? So many things in the last 24 hours. Wow. Okay. So to kick things off, uh, John Connor, I mentioned him in episode one. He was an Aftermath signee. He's been with Dr. Dre's label for almost six years, has put out great mixtapes, um, and unfortunately was hit with the Aftermath curse, never released anything. But yesterday was the first time he released some new music, uh, much to everybody's Happiness. Uh, he returned with a track called Homicide Freestyle, where he freestyles over Logic and Eminem's beat. And uh, that was on All Varsity Music, which is now his independent label. But the way, best way to sum it up, which is it, it's almost such a good segue from the whole rhythm and flow conversation and platforms, is he says, you know how you go through college and it prepares you for the real world. That's how I view my time at Aftermath. Yeah, I guess he he did his kind of learning, right? He put in his time on that side and he's come out the other end uh, as well. So if you if you love uh, lyrical miracle rap, take a listen, great wordplay, and uh, let's hope that we can see someone like that really flourish. Okay, and then speaking of lyrical, magical, you know, kind of off, maybe off the deep end a little bit. I <laughs> lyrical, think miracle, miracle, miracle. Lyrical so, miracles, lyric, miracles in music. Um, somebody else who's been talking a lot about miracles is Kanye. Uh, the new album dropped last week uh, after weeks, if not months, of waiting. Um, we were able to get Kanye's uh, kind of almost reborn kind of self. Uh, the new album is uh, Jesus is, is King. Uh, it's, it's very kind of gospel-like. Uh, he did actually an appearance on on one of my favorite YouTube things, which is James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. But instead of in a car, he took his whole choir and James in a plane. Um, and so they did Airpool Karaoke, <laughs> um, which was quite interesting because, uh, you know, he took even uh, I'm Like a Bird and they did a gospel version of that in the plane, um, as well as some of the older Kanye tracks. Um, I was quite interested that they didn't do things like... Uh, uh, you know, kind of some of maybe some of more his risque kind of songs. They didn't do anything from like 808s or, or anything like that, but they did kind of do some older music and they did some of his new music. It's gotten kind of mixed reviews. Um, I have to say, I, I need a few more listens. Um, I'm slightly, you know, I've been kind of worried for Kanye for some time. I mean, you know, kind of his own self admitted kind of mental health issues, um, you know, his marriage to Kim Kardashian uh, kind of puts him really in. Uh, a lot of people's uh, eyes in terms of the paparazzi uh, and sometimes people with mental health issues, that might not be the best thing for them. Um, and artists, you know, artists go through their struggles. Um, artists uh, are innovators. Um, and I'm kind of torn between is this uh, Jesus is King uh, release an Andy Kaufman-esque kind of maybe slight kind of trickery in terms of let me see how much I can get away with or is this genuine belief in actually God has put him here for this reason to make music to touch people to show them his struggle 
uh, I'm really interested in in seeing what Kanye does next. Because, I mean, as great as the Sunday services have been, as good as this album, I believe, is, even though it's getting mixed reviews, uh, I really want to see, is this a new Kanye that's going to stick around? Or is this towards the end of his career? Or does he actually come back and do something different? It'll be really interesting to see what comes next for Kanye. Yeah, I wonder. I personally didn't particularly enjoy the album, but I, you make extremely valid points. And I think what's really great is that he stayed true to his creative craft. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. And if you do, you do. Cool. Um, yeah, inter- interesting is rapper Nor, N-O-R-E. Um, Noriega. Noriega Nor- yeah. mentions that uh, the album is trash. Mm. Uh, you know, people have said that about other albums before and they've gone on to be chart-topping successes. So it's all about perspective uh, apparently he's got a new one that's in the works for december um i don't know let's see what happens there it's interesting that he had a track that had both uh kenny g and Pusha t on the album you know he had the clips on that track and i think it took us a second to say wait is that kenny g wait is that Pusha t on the same track um it wasn't heavy with features um it was kind of true to that gospel kind of vibe uh, even the kenny g and, and Pusha t track uh, does have a lot of kind of gospel, you know, kind of glory be to God type kind of messaging. Um, and it's definitely not for everybody, right? And at the same time, uh, if Kanye was happy enough to kind of release the album eventually, right? I mean, I guess it does kind of say something about where he sees himself kind of going. It'll be interesting to see what comes next. Uh, anything else in in the new music side that's got you interested? Uh, there's new music from The Game featuring Anderson Park called Stainless. I think this is a reboot considering he's shifted his album release date to the end of November and Westside, which was supposedly the first uh, commercial release of his last album, which is independent, uh, didn't perform so well. We've seen new tracks from the likes of 21 Savage uh, called Immortal. Miguel's dropped Funeral. Um, there's a new track with Redman and Pressure. Got some uh, Lil Peep. I don't really listen to him, but cool. <laughs> um, yeah, Farhan. But what about Gangstar? Oh yeah. So I haven't listened to the new Gangstar album, but that's supposed to drop today as well. So I'm kind of excited uh, for that as well. Is that that album been released? Now? That, that was a high Gangstar, by the way. Yeah, it's <laughs> called One of the Best Yet. It's got features from the likes of Mop, Q-Tip, J Cole. Uh, Royster59, Jerud the Damaja, Neo, <laughs> Nitty Scott, Big Shug, and Freddie Fox. It's 16 tracks. Uh, it will. Jerud the Damaja is definitely a throwback, right? So, you know, Gangstar going back to some of their throwback roots with Jerud and, and some of those others will be interesting. It will be a good listen, I'm sure. Uh, in that kind of vein of also uh, My Guilty Pleasures, uh, the new Charlie's Angel soundtrack is, is now fully released, and Ariana Grande has a song with uh, Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, let me rock you, Shaka Khan. Um, and so, so I'm kind of keen to give that a few more spins. Um, but yeah, it's been been a decent week for hip hop music and and a good week for music all around. All right, well that does it for another episode of Middle School Music, where old school meets new school. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, Middle School underscore Music. That's at MDLSKL underscore Music. You can find me on Twitter at Farhan Lalji. Dario, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter on ask Dario underscore Devet with a W. There you go. Well, thanks again for listening, and we'll hopefully see you in, in a few weeks' time. Ciao. Bye. <laughs>
Can I listen to your podcast?